Welcome to Work of Fiction, the podcast that analyzes the fictional organizations you see in movies and TV. Today's episode analyzes Regal View and Worry Free, the industries you see in Sorry to Bother You. Kim Perkins here with my colleagues Bud Cadell and Jane Garza. We're members of Nobel, an organizational design firm that helps teams adopt new ways of working. Every month, we take a break from helping real organizations change to discuss fictional leaders and organizations, what works, what doesn't, and most importantly, we talk about the simple tools that they and you, our listeners, can implement to make the workplace better. I just want to say you have a very good Terry Gross-like voice. <laughs> yeah, I, haven't heard, Thank you, I haven't heard your podcast voice. Um, I'll give a little bit of a background about how we're going to structure the conversation uh, to make this somewhat coherent. So one of the tools in our toolkit we call an organizational charter. It lets us get a quick 50,000-foot view of an organization by looking at it through five domains. Environment, so what's the world around the organization? The purpose of the organization, and we define that as the reason we choose to exist together. Strategies, which are the choices and trade-offs and bets that we're willing, make, willing to make to achieve our purpose. Structures, how we divide work and resources to achieve our strategies. And systems, anything that governs individual behavior across the structures of the organization. And they do work a bit like Russian nesting dolls. Changes in your environment should cause you to reflect on your purpose, strategy, structures, and systems. So why don't we get started and talk about the environment around these companies? I think before that, let's give it a little bit of background about the movie. Jane, you want to give us a little movie background? And yeah. we should also mention the spoiler warning. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to say, spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about this movie in full. Um, so if you haven't seen it and you still want to, you should do that now. Otherwise, if you're okay with spoilers, go ahead and continue listening. Um, so a bit of background. Cash Green lives in his uncle's garage with his woke artist girlfriend, Detroit, and the only job he can find is working as a telemarketer on the lower levels of Regal View. Cash has trouble selling to customers until an older coworker teaches him to use his white voice, one that conveys a tone of confident, carefree affluence. Cash discovers that he has a special talent for this and gets promoted to the mysterious position of power caller. In contrast to the grubby basement where Regal View is based, power callers work in a luxurious suite in, in the upper floors to which they ascend through a high security elevator that offers nonstop affirmations. Very sexual affirmations, yeah. too, weirdly. Yeah, that was kind of weird. Not um, safe for work, <laughs> yeah. number one of this film. Um, power callers sell a different product than Regal View, human slave labor through a company called Worry Free, a jail-like system that guarantees employment, housing, and food for life. Cash is conflicted about the ethics, but ultimately goes for the cash and lifestyle. And as he gets deeper and deeper into the organization, he discovers a horrible secret. Dun, dun, dun. dun. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So as Ben said, let's get let's get started looking at this organization, and we'll first we'll think about it from in terms of the environment. Yeah, what do you guys think about the world that this movie exists in? Well, this is set in Oakland, so I don't know about you guys, but I I lived in Oakland for a couple of years, mm -hmm. and there is certainly an element of but, but the kind of Oakland it is is 
definitely not the affluent kind of Oakland. It's definitely set kind of in a in a much poorer areas of Oakland. You don't really see any of the Oakland that is yeah. Um, yeah, the, the economic struggle like early on is very visible. People are his uncle is about to lose his house. He is desperate for a job. Um he you know, he's lying to to talk himself up because he wants to make sure he gets this telemarketing job, but basically it seems like he'll take anything. Um and generally, oh, his car is breaking down. Like in general, they very, they've set the scene that people are struggling basically. Yeah, what I I found interesting about this world that this movie inhabits is that there, it, there seems to be some sort of housing crisis. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things going on. I was wondering about the jobs. There seem to be a lot of jobs, but they're all terrible jobs. Mm-hmm. Right? So sign twirling is a job. You know, the correct uh, term for that is human directional. <laughs> oh. Yeah. For real? Yeah, human directional. <laughs> That's like the... Uh, the labor statistic term for it. Can I hire them to be my turn signals? Oh, sure, sure. For sure. I, yeah. So I think, I mean, I think that's interesting. Also, what I think might be missing from this world is any sort of manufacturing technologies. Yeah. And we'll see that mm. later. But I wonder, like, the things that make me concerned for this world are, like, what's the educational system like? Because you are creating a lot of, like, low-skilled jobs and a lot of people who can't really progress and don't have access to it. I mean, clearly this is a slightly, our world, slightly something different that we'll find out as we go through the film. Um, so education is one. And then, yeah, technology. Like, where's the role of manufacturing technology and just technology overall? We don't see a lot of technology in the That's true. In yeah. the movie. That's true. You don't see a lot of screens. You don't see a lot of people on their phone all the time. Yeah. You see television. There's these bad t- TV shows, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's very polarized in general, so yeah. in this role. And I think that that plays a, a big part in the movie when you look at the way the organizations are as well. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the environment? Mm. I mean, to your, do- or your point about um, jobs that don't really require a lot of skill and the polarization, there are rich people, like the people who run the company, but it doesn't seem like there's any skill behind that. It's all kind of luck or mm. maybe charisma. I don't know. Luck, charisma, social connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. True. All right. Uh, so purpose then uh, of these companies. So I'm I'm thinking of Regal View and um, Worry Free as kind of integrated, like it's almost mm-hmm. one company in some way, like different arms of the same. Yeah, yeah they're really, very closely partnered. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, it was hard to know. I, I assume that it's also a very clever business tactic that, they seem like subsidiaries, and one their only job is to sell the services of the other. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it yeah. makes. I mean, they're integrated, so it make, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, I, I had a hard time. I was like, "Is Regal View? Does Worry Free also make like dictionaries for your home <laughs> and the other things that you're selling?" But was it, that's right, because a dictionary is cropping up all over the place. The yeah. catchphrase I kept hearing over and over about like the purpose of Worry Free was it is it has quote unquote resuscitated America. Yes, mm. amazing. Resuscitated America. So maybe this this is part purpose and part strategy, but I think that the worry-free arm is kind of being billed as the social entrepreneurship arm yeah. that's actually help, is, is built for a social purpose to give people a way of staying afloat in this terrible economy, but it also gets engineered and really turned around to some terrible purposes in terms of exploitation as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
And specifically, so then specifically the telemarketing piece for Regal View, the purpose really seemed as simple as make the company money. And that's the only thing we want. Like, basically, that should be your only focus is make money and no yeah. other directions. Yeah, we don't even know what the products are, particularly yeah. for Regal View. I didn't pick up on that. Encyclopedias is the only one that we know of. And then when he goes to Power Caller, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Again, and changes. if you're selling encyclopedias, I wonder where technology is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good point. That's right. Where's Wikipedia? Yeah. Not available to you, apparently. It's only the Britannica. It's interesting because they, they do in the movie say they spent millions on tech for the office when he first starts at Regal View. But then there's a scene like immediately after he's on the phone in his first call and behind him, the printer is like basically exploding. And it's right after you hear they spent millions on tech. And it's like the classic office thing. Like we spent money on tech, but it's not the tech that you need to get your work done necessarily. Or the tech is still broken for the work you need to get done. Absolutely. Yeah. So what about uh, strategies? What do we see? No. Uh, definitely cheap manufacturing, even over being ethical. Right. They talk about they've gotten the price of a car down to the of manufacturing a car down to the price of manufacturing a bicycle. Yes, because they are only paying the merest of labor mm. costs. Oh, no. La they, no they, labor costs. Yeah. I mean, just to house the, the house of workers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Slave labor. Yeah. Um, so around culture, I guess the the two cultures that I saw were a, bro, a serious bro culture. Like you have to be in with us in order to 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 get higher in the ranks, and then at one point there's like a feminine bro culture where they bring in the new manager into the Regal View tel telemarketing, and her spiel is like, "We're a family now, and you know you're we really believe in you, and we want you to be more than just a telemarketer." And they're like, "Okay, do we get paid more money?" And they're like, "No, definitely not." <laughs> no. <laughs> Classic. We yes. are a family company yes. positionings. You are not employees to me. You are team members. We're a family now. You know what that means? It means I lean on you, you lean on me. There's a synergy. And you can feel that energy. I know that you can. People are starting to get emotional, and I love that. Does that mean we get paid more? No. <laughs> OK, but what is capital, right? I would argue that social currency now is more important. And don't take it from me. Take it from the news. Take it from media, all kinds of media, digital, paper, otherwise. Media's changing. So is capital. Get with it. I love that. And her name is uh, Diana Debacheri. <laughs> Stella Debauchery. Debauchery. Yeah. But it, it's great because she goes from the, the, you know, we're playing on the emotional piece of it to as soon as they figure out they don't play war, then she kind of slides straight into the, well, you know, motivation, its own reward and all of this really airy-fairy stuff about, um, you know, how you should just be happy being here. And I feel like that. Mm -hmm. is is something that we sometimes do that, that you know in our work I sometimes notice that people are concerned that when we're talking about intrinsic motivation for example that it's really a lot of pretty words that don't, don't result in more money yeah. so I feel like that's a dynamic that people are often very sensitive to in these issues in these times mm -hmm. it's also yeah. too just a reflection of in these kinds of jobs the people who are promoted. I mean, we talk about even in large companies that we work with, the lack of management development. And when you look in, you know, in, in workplaces like this, there's zero, um, you know, training and development. So right. you're usually like parroting. You see a lot of people in these environments mm. like parroting movies, mm. like characters from <laughs> movies they've seen, seen. Like, how do I rally the troops? What was that scene from Gladiator? All right, are you, are you not entertained? All right, we're good. Um, yeah, exactly, because the, the one thing that they give for training is stick to the script. Stuss. 
Christos. S-T-T-S. Stick to the script. And then if you look at the script, it's kind of vague. It says connect with them and be their right. friend. What does that even mean? Where's it's the not script? a script. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. slight guidelines. Yeah, that was interesting. You're and, totally right. And they have that um, the whole thing about bagging them and tagging them. Which mm-hmm. was hilarious because it, there was absolutely no content there. Like you could not figure out what to do because of what they were saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also, uh, so we can talk again about uh, fixed versus fluid. So some work environments are very fixed. Some are very fluid. Fluid being there's a lot of uncertainty and novelty and you want to try a lot of things quickly. Fixed, you understand a lot of the former unknowns of the space and you really just want to create high quality, consistent output. What I find funny about any kind of call center is they think that it's just a fixed environment, but you're trying to make a relationship on the phone, which is a very, like, getting to know anyone is a very fluid back and forth uh, relationship, but they give you a script and things like that because, you know, like one person was really good at this one script and now everyone has to follow it. I thought that was a, an interesting thing to see. Yeah, that's a really great point about, about the, the sort of a differing expectations. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I mean, uh, so worry free also like pretty much in, in the video that we see later, um, they make everything even over specializing and they will do anything with their labor. So that, that was also interesting. They're a little Amazon like in that way. Mm. That's right. It's sort of a universal tool. Yeah. So when he's making his first call to, uh, sell the services of worry free, he basically says we can cut your labor costs and that's all there is to it. And they expect that that will pretty much prevail over anything, any other concerns. Yeah, it was cut your labor costs and double your output. Yes. That's, yes, business, <laughs> business talk. <laughs> they also choose um, profitability even over uh, just straight revenue. Or it, like this is where they deviate from Amazon. So Amazon isn't really worried about being the most profitable company on the planet, right? That They move into new markets and make almost no money or they lose money so that they can capture ground and then extract profit. But this company is very much driven for shareholder value, Mm -hmm. which, you know, anytime someone wants to put an evil company in a movie, that is always the attitude. But now we live in a world where actually people, you know, aren't as obsessed with that. You look at like Facebook's shareholder letter, Amazon's shareholder letter originally saying, we're not going to become a profit obsessed company. Yeah, yeah that's really, it's really interesting because, of course, but the, at, at, to your point earlier, they also assume that the profit motive kind of will win over any other con- possible ethical concern you could have. Yeah, because they're resuscitating America. <laughs> I mean, this is the dark side of purpose, yeah. purpose statements, because, you know, and they took over like five or 10 years ago where every company has to have like a social bend in terms of their purpose. But we see how to save the world in very different ways. And so you can have a beautiful purpose statement of we are resuscitating America. And the, end, the means to achieve that end can be terrible. So do you think in, in there, the CEO, Steve Lift, is being interviewed and they say, what do you say to concerns that this is actually just for slavery? And he says, no, no, nobody's physically forcing anybody. And in fact, I am offended by that. Yeah. Do you think he believes that? Or do you think, I mean, do you think he's told himself that and believes it? Or do you think mm-hmm. that he's just playing the line? Honestly? I think he really believes it because there's later when he sits down with Cassius and they watch that video, which I, I want to talk about specifically at some point. He goes, this is entirely rational. 
I'm not crazy while he's pointing a gun at him <laughs> <laughs> and what he has just saw before. But um, I really think, I really think he believes in what he's doing. I mean, that also might be uh, the Coke talking. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> right. But yeah, I yeah. think he's, I think he believes what he's doing. He also, I think we should just point out, he's like a dead ringer for Tom's founder, Blake McCoskey. McCoskey. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen... I had no idea. In how he acts or looks? Just how he looks. Mm. I'm sure Blake is a wonderful human being. But it's like... like, (laughs) It's just like everything about his aura. You're like, oh, I see who you base this character off of. Oh, interesting. That's funny. Hmm. Um, the, The only other thing I was thinking about for strategy is around like the DNI aspect they're they're actually for diversity and inclusion they're actually fairly diverse like on their face they have a female in leadership like the teams that are doing telemarketing are fairly diverse from the people that we get to see but it's like but you have a script so it's diverse in terms of like the way you look but in terms of your actual personality and how you make decisions and how you'd bring new ideas to the team there's no diversity in that way and and then as the movie goes on there are like points where Cassius gets into the higher level stage. He gets to go to a fancy party and like, we like you, you're different. At first, it almost seems like he's accepted. And then it's like, no, you're like a monk. You're a dancing monkey basically for us. Yeah. It's amazing. Cause it, yeah, in the beginning you see everybody's very diverse. And then as you ascend, then it gets kind mm, of whiter and whiter and then everybody's in their white voice. And then there's that moment where he gets introduced to the CEO where they say, no, 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 he's okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. There was a classic study and, and I'll, you know, we'll have to post it later, but it showed that when you're like one or the like of two minorities in a company, it actually can force you into stereotypes and like reinforce those stereotypes on both sides mm. inside a company. So yeah, clearly the the rapping scene was that yeah <laughs> yes very yeah. not safe for work rapping scene yeah yeah that is a dangerous thing because when you're like the first diversity hire on a leadership team there's all this extra context around you as a leader like you are not you don't get to just be yourself you're the first diversity hire you need to be the one who raises diversity and it's all this extra pressure so i could see how it could go into these like polarized extremes yeah. um yeah definitely so I feel like this company also really mirrors the environment and that it's very polarized. There's a few people, there's a few elites and a lot of hmm. workers or who are being really exploited and the elites are pretty much allowed to do anything they want and have anything they want. So when you go, for example, down from the Regal View basement where um, everybody's all in cubicles and then as soon as you ascend that amazing elevator, then light-filled boxes where mm. the champagne flows <laughs> and you have your own beautiful little cubicle to do in what, with what, whatever mm. you will. That's true. And you don't have a script. Um, but at the same time, it gets – I mean, at least for Cassius, it kind of gets worse. You have to pretend to be someone. The The higher up you go, the more you need to not pretend to not be yourself, the more you have to use your white voice 100% of the time. Yeah. So it's like and there's a scene where he's – this is a little bit separate, but he's in that bar, and he's like, what's in the VIP room? And he goes in the VIP room, and, like, drinks are spilled on him, and it's tiny and awful. <laughs> it's terrible. And it's terrible in there. And it's the same thing, like, as he ascends through the company, it's just, like, worse, and there's no place for him as he goes on. I also just – like, a random aside, I find it really funny – that the elevator has like the 500 digit code to get into it 
But to stumble upon uh, Equisapiens in a house, it's just like, which door did you <laughs> so choose? <true. laughs> like the levels of security and privilege are really fascinating to me mm-hmm. because you can't let the plebes rise. There's all of these like like uh, security systems there. But once you're in the club, once you're part of that privileged class, then yeah, no one's thinking about security. Also, yeah. we totally skipped the horsemen. Um, and the strategies yeah. aspect of this. I think it's, <laughs> it's a big turn in the movie, so it feels weird to even talk openly about. But like clearly, they're creating their own workforce even over uh, developing the people that they have. Yeah. So if you haven't seen them, we didn't share them in the synopsis. If you haven't seen the movie, by the end of it, you find out that Worry Free is uh, transforming humans into horses so that they can be a stronger workforce, basically. Equisapiens. Equisapiens. Yeah. yeah. So there's they're stronger and more docile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they want to create a Equisapien Martin Luther King like character to lead them, but is also a corporate, uh, secretly a corporate shill. Yes, right. they're asking for the protagonist to be to become that revolutionary for them, so that they can draw off just enough pressure that they can manipulate, continue mm. the status quo. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's a, I mean, that, you know, that's a structure within itself. And I think, you know, I've worked in a lot of organizations that have those sorts of divides, like call centers inside companies that are very, that say they're very modern, but they do typically have these, I've seen it before where you have these leaders that were hand-selected to lead those groups who have very complicated relationships with the founders who feel, are treated to feel like they're on the inside but they have a lot of antipathy for the folks in, say, the call center that they work with. And so, I, yeah, I, there's there's a whole thing about you know sort of the overseer, yeah. right? That kind of ascends and is like a middle person, but is not really is maybe from the well, the lower class, but is not identifying with that any longer. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot here. I want to go back to your point about the um, the low security. Once you get into the upper echelons, maybe that's because that's in that terrible place. Everybody's policing themselves. Yeah, that's true. Like you know, everyone looks like they're having fun at that party, except for a couple people. And then it's like you know, the first interaction you have with the CEO, where he's like, "Just don't call me, well, don't call me Mr. Lift or something mm-hmm. like yes, that." So he goes, "Call me Mister." And he says, "Steve," and he said, "I did not say Steve. Mm-hmm. You cannot call me by my first name." And it turns out that's a joke, but that yeah. that on guardness, yeah. Is, is clearly there. Yeah, that party has just so much like performative quality where everybody's sort of trying. Nobody looks like they're legitimately having fun as right. much as they're living out an Performing. angle on this. Yeah. 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 And, you know, if you haven't seen big, successful, fast rising companies that are led by somewhat sociopathic people, you might think <laughs> that. Charismatic sociopaths. Yeah. You might think that that party is you know over the top or dramatized but that party happens every weekend that party yeah (laughs) aside from the naked horse people yeah (laughs) Yeah, maybe not the naked horse people but yeah (laughs) yeah those things clearly close to home um you know i mean there's there's somewhat of a meritocracy happening in the call center right yeah people know Mm -hmm. what they're they're valued against or what they're judged against it's very clear assessment you can see if you're getting there or not yeah which reminds me of a conversation we had the other day just at nobel about the idea that everyone wants to work in a meritocracy but no one really likes the systems that make it a meritocracy of being judged (laughs) against someone i think jane you had a really good point 
just about the fact that no one no one loves those systems, but more so they really want to know that they can change. Mm -hmm. They can move up. Yeah. Their position isn't fixed. Yeah. Like uh, there can be, I feel like there can be a difference between knowing that you can level up. That's like one version of it. The other one is you can level up. Someone else will level down in order for you to level up. Mm, That it's like a zero sum thing. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like where you're getting rid of the you know, the Rankin Yeg situation yeah. where you're getting rid of the people and that if you're moving rankings. up yeah. literally yeah. means that somebody else has to go, which is a creates a different cultural mm-hmm. climate for sure than just everybody can move up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really interesting because in the Regal View situation, they were all one thing that struck me was that they were constantly saying, anybody can become a power caller. And mm-hmm. again, that's kind of taking the that that's helping keep people motivated by saying that there is a path for you There's to something. Yeah. get there and it's this amazing nirvana where you get paid so much money and you're selling the real projects and you're going to be like Hal Edelman or what was his name? <laughs> <laughs> famous telemarketer. The famous telemarketer. Yeah. You can be the next one like that. Yeah. It, it's kind of that message is undercut by the two guys who actually run the call center who look like they like have been there since mm-hmm. like 1962 and haven't like groomed themselves or taken a shower since then either. Yeah. If anybody could do this, why are they still here? Yeah. 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 Very true. I mean, in terms of structures, too, I mean, clearly they're building uh, a whole like a Foxconn like place for people to live and that those are a completely different class of workers at Worry Free. So like the premise is that you sign a lifetime contract, no wages, but housing. So this goes back to some sort of housing crisis happening in the world around them. Mm -hmm. And you get meals that look quite terrible. (laughs) And you can be on, like, the version of Cribs that was the yeah. featured on the yeah. yeah, that was so painful. But also, again, those videos and the advertising that happens out in the world is just – they did such a good job at the – I'm going to butcher this word – verisimilitude of it being so real. Like, those are ads you see everywhere. Mm. Like, they did a really good job. Yes, they totally did. Yeah. 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 And then the, the game show – that he eventually goes on. What was the name of that game show? Are we allowed to say the name of this game show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're deciding yeah, we right now that this is that kind of podcast. Okay, yeah, it's yeah. called I Got the Shit Kicked Out of Me. <laughs> I'm sorry, children. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> like, all the children definitely listen to this podcast, but... Yeah, all the baby org designers. Yeah. <laughs> but you, it, that definitely they got the, the tenor of the... of, you know, what people are interested in as far as the lowest common denominator they kind of were hitting up the idiocracy mm. playing field on this yeah another structure they clearly have a genetic uh engineering division mm. that we learn about later that's true mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's a lot that we don't see that's behind the scenes because we don't really get to see what how do they go from human to horse like what is what yeah what does the, that look how like how do they figure out all that research but we also don't get to see the humans that are besides the commercials we don't know if that's a fake reality or if they're actually living in those suits and in those like prison like looking places mm-hmm. i couldn't figure out if that was like do we know if that's real right i mean is it everybody is everybody in equisapien yeah. in worry free or just some people yeah and um yeah because we really only see it from like a marketing and sales standpoint because mm-hmm. that's the, those are the functions that are visible so we see there's the ceo there's the sales um functions on the ground there's the 
workers. There's a hint of maybe like an MBA class in there somewhere because he says at one point, I want to pick your brain because we need people who can challenge, analyze and challenge and adapt like a cunning raccoon, mm. like a tardigrade. <laughs> yeah, good pull. The tardigrade <laughs> one. That was a good reference. Tardigrades are like in the pop culture right now, right? They were just an Ant-Man too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're cool. Just so cuddly. They're adorable. I agree. Water bears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with a cool name too. That's a better name. Or trash panda for raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so but those are really the only functions we see. So we mm-hmm. again assuming there are some scientists somewhere, but yeah. if there are there are vast middle managers and aside from the middle managers at Regal View, we don't really see them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the other like emerging structure, I guess, is the union um, that's mm-hmm. starting in the telemarketing group. I thought that was interesting because like, I don't know the last time I've seen a union develop in a movie and it felt very fresh too. It was like millennial union. <laughs> like we go Remember around those things. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was interesting. It was interesting to see how it formulated and how they were fighting the company, but also the response from the company was interesting. Like it was pretty much just from what I understood, they just went quiet. They didn't respond at all. They were like, all we care about is our star players and they're still making us money. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting how they really did not, aside from they they had sort of a, uh, they, they delayed on the union. They didn't say, okay, sure. Mm -hmm. But they didn't seem terribly opposed to it. Mm -mm. Yeah. It felt like a blank slate in terms of a response. And there was one comment where they're like, we haven't heard, they're, they're breaking soon, but we didn't actually hear from the company at all. Yeah. I mean, I think that is an old school classic tradition and union busting is just one to test like how, what's their resolve? Mm -hmm. Like, is this a fleeting thing? Will there be infighting? Will this dissipate before we even have to come to the table with an offer? Yeah. Um, also, though, those the, the people at the ground level in terms of management who had to respond, again, no training. So I'm sure they have no clue actually how to respond to things like Very this. Very true. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, most, and the dark side of you know, our actual reality is that a lot of companies, you know, you'll be punished for just even talking about yeah. creating. You know, at least in this movie, that you know, they, they were allowed to organize and talk. And, uh, yeah, and have like a whole rally on company time and yeah. but also we're living in a world where there's no such thing as bad publicity so all publicity mm. is good publicity so it's on the news day right. after day and now that is is doing is putting it on the map in some ways kind of like in the way that after cash's appearance on um the tv show like stock went through the roof mm-hmm. yeah i mean everything about how they how the filmmaker looked at media was just brilliant in this i mean even the the coke ad, or yeah the cola ad just yeah. that it started it was like such a good play on i i believe it was the kylie jenner spot that they're playing on mm-hmm. just this idea that like it's a viral video of someone getting smacked in the head and called a derogatory term and then that becomes the cola company's ad yeah. <laughs> yes. like to your point that there is no bad publicity yeah. especially in this world it's just if it's on tv it's awesome Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that becomes merch, right, with the Halloween costumes and yeah. everything else. Yeah, so brilliant. So good. Um, the only other question I had about structures are: Do we think that the like the police or the riot in riot gear are are they employed by the company or are they just police? Mm. I hadn't thought about that. This could be a wing of this conglomerate. Yeah. Like again, I think this is you know this is a fairly dystopian film. 
And it's a common trope in dystopic films for the companies to have their own private Police armies. Fight. Yeah, very yeah. true. It could, I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. True. Like it, yeah. I could yeah. see that being the case. And, you know, you can validate that if you go back to your purpose and say we're resuscitating America. And that is such a strong purpose that maybe we do need people in riot gear. Yeah, maybe we had need our own police force to match the prison population that we are uh, yeah. creating slash mm-hmm. employing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So do we want to move to systems? Yeah. Any... yeah. All right. So systems, again, are things that dictate individual behavior. And here... It's a, it's a wide-ranging domain, so you can bring a lot of stuff in here. The first thing I wanted to talk about, and again, verisimilitude, I'm probably still butchering that. Um, one of my favorite things about this is when Steve uh, wants to make him watch the video. Yes. And is so transfixed on having Cassius watch this video. Mm-hmm. I have worked with so many executives <laughs> who have a sizzle reel made or like a vision video and they do, they take it from meeting to meeting and they say, you know, you have to watch this, which again, that, you know, like this is a world where media is incredibly powerful mm. and it's not a negative thing. It's just, I, for a moment, I just, I just could not stop laughing in terms of like, no, we made this video, high production values. You're going to watch it and we're not going to talk. We're just going to watch. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally yeah. It does feel very familiar. It's also, it's just like very inhuman too. Like rather than me telling you one-on-one what my vision is or like what my idea is, I made this video, just watch the video. Like we don't need to talk about it. Yeah. yeah it's all perfectly laid out here. It's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's kind of like the mission statement that goes on the wall. In mm-hmm. some ways. Yeah. Very yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that, okay. So one of the systems that I thought was interesting is the telemarketing group kind of felt like a training program for the, what is that like rising star group called? The power callers. Power callers. So it sort of just felt like a training group that like that's the training that you go through in order to get to a power caller. And we don't really care if you sell encyclopedias or not. We're just trying to train you up to be a power caller potentially. Mm. Or just see like, I guess there's not really training that's happening. We just want to see how you do and move you up. Yeah. That's kind yeah. of, I don't know, we were just talking about Ready Player One recently. It's kind of like the, the video game training ground in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's mm. that's really astute. And companies that are that big, I mean, that's the way they, they sort of look at it, too. It rem- I, mean, it's, I mean, Chipotle is a much better company, uh, especially <laughs> these days. But they also look at people who work in their restaurants as potential managers. They mm. almost only promote from within. And so they look at the restaurants as a testing ground. Mm-hmm for people as well yeah yeah and here they kind of take it to the extreme where you if you're a power caller you get everything to your point you get like sunlight (laughs) you get (laughs) white walls um but if you're not you don't even get like you don't even get free coffee you have to pay for coffee at the vending machine like every single thing you don't even get a salary you have to you work basically for commission yeah um so yeah Yeah, that's a really good point two extremes and again, just to echo back, like the whole notion of looking at this through these domains is, I think, to a point you made earlier, Kim, just that the world has shaped this company. So like they have such drastic differences between the classes of workers, but that's probably considered, you know, to some degree that's considered okay because the world outside looks a lot. You know, I think when we think of how great it must be to work at Amazon's headquarters versus how hard it must be to actually be a picker. Yeah. in their warehouse all of us then can rationalize it and say well you know our world is it, it looks a lot like that too that's right if we're this polarized in the outside environment why wouldn't mm-hmm. we be this polarized inside because then it, we can paint it as 
supply and demand. Yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, another system, this is a really small one, but I would put this here. Stuss, stick to the script. Yeah. <laughs> like that's a, you know, that's a system. And I think stick to the script is kind of a, the corporate m- like mantra. Like if they have yeah. like a mission statement or a vision statement on the wall, it is stick to the script. Yeah. Because like even totally. when I show you naked horsemen, I want you to stick to the script of having this conversation with me. I want you to stick to the script of taking this offer. Mm, yeah. yeah. It also, it's a good example of what sometimes happens in companies where, um, like, for example, we have our mission statement on the wall. We told you what our mission is. So why can't you like do what you need to do in order to achieve the mission? But the mission is vague and the script is vague. Like we gave you a script, stick to the script. You'll figure it out if you stick to the script. But then the things that we're actually giving you are very vague and unclear. They don't actually help you get the job done. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they have a diversity program. Yeah. <laughs> especially, no, especially no I would say not. Yeah, they have lifetime labor contracts. That's, that's definitely a system um, mm. seen as a new form of slavery. Um, they have, we talked about quickly, but they have an elevator hype up voice. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that really wants you to know about your sexual prowess. Uh, that's a system inside, of, inside the company to provide affirmations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that might be what I have for systems. Anything else from yeah. you guys? I'd say just that sort of when they get called on anything, then they kind of go to a higher minded place. Oh, say more. Mm-hmm. You know, so that anytime anybody's calling them on, is this really slavery or are you do, are we ever going to get paid more or anything mm-hmm. functional? Then they sort of go into like the, let's just spew some high minded BS mm-hmm. and get out of this one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what, as we wrap up, what would be one recommendation that you would give to Steve if he survived the end of the film? Uh, the CEO, a big if. yeah, uh, you know about his company companies. Aside from, please don't make horse people. I, I feel like they're going to a more and more powerful place, and ideally, you want more than one person person's perspective leading you into the the next stage of your company so find a way to we talked about like diversity and inclusion find a way potentially to to be a little bit more inclusive rather than scripts for all yeah it's if you would take that advice (laughs) (laughs) that's really the question i keep coming up against is what advice would he actually take as it seems to be working fine as a both a, a money making machine and a status creating machine no you know and so where do you start to try to unevil a company? Yeah. I mean, well, we see at the end there's a revolt. Mm-hmm. And so as much as they are able to make money, that level of inequality inside the organization is unsustainable. Mm. I mean, you know, assume good faith with Steve for a moment, even though that's an <laughs> enormous leap. I think one of the things is that, you know, that elevator, the distance between people who work sort of in the headquarters and the people who work at Regal View, just cutting that. And get it and putting Steve, have Steve go work in the call center for a month mm. and understand what that life is really mm. like. Or have yeah, Steve be a that. horse person for a month if that magical cure really mm. does exist or not. Um, and, you know, expose him to things like that because, you know, I, I'm, I'm a white guy, but yes. And so, yes, privilege does make you blind to these things. But he's also a terrible person. It's not just <laughs> it's not just that. He's a quite terrible person. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's actually a coachable in this case <laughs> yeah, I think definitely no 
It would involve cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for listening to Work of Fiction. Check us out at nobl.io or tell us what movie organization you think we should analyze next at heart at nobl.io. Thanks for listening. We'll try to find one where the leader does not wield a gun in our next episode. (laughs) (laughs) We'll try. Bye-bye. Company streaming movies and TV.